because yeah, I mean, even the difference between the Nationals and the Mets on a true talent level could be wiped out by 162 games of whatever. You know, massive, you know, 2009 Mets level injuries to the Nationals, huge breakouts from Mets pitchers. It can happen, but it's not likely. edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Steve Sippa. Steve, as we do on Amazing Avenue Audio, we will start with an opening question. How fucking good are the 2015 Mets? Uh, pretty good. We discussed this a little bit with Joe Sheehan last week on the show. <clears throat> and he did not come to that conclusion. But I'll tell you what, after watching this series against the Nationals, I also agree with Joe that it just doesn't matter. That was incredible baseball. There's no other way to put it. It's, I don't, I mentioned this on Twitter a while back. Uh, it seems like the good Mets teams in my lifetime have all been pretty predictable, even like workman workmanlike at times. And the ninety nine team was a little bizarre, certainly. And there was the maybe a similar amount of chaos early uh, in the season internally with the team. But they were still a very good baseball team. You know, two thousand team, very good baseball team. Two thousand six team, very good baseball team. Um, the late eighties teams of my youth, eighty eight teams specifically. They sort of went about their business. They had really good players. This team's been very Metsian, <laughs> I guess would be the way to put it. It's, I don't, you know, it started a few weeks ago. I started really back at the trade deadline. We know this. All of a sudden, the offense got fixed. Pretending that the offense got fixed and the team got better. It did, certainly. But... Now it's there's a little bit of electricity in the air. Like you're never you never feel like the game is over. I mean, Steven Strasburg tonight, recording this on Wednesday night, and this is episode 138 of Amazing Avenue Audio. We should get to that part as well. Um, look, he was dominant. He looked as mm. good as any pitcher in baseball, and a healthy Steven Strasburg is as good as any pitcher in baseball. He's in the conversation with guys like Kershaw and Sale and. You know, Jacob deGrom and Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez and Corey Kluber, whoever you want to name. David Price. Name them all. And it just looks like one of those games where it's just you kind of you gotta tip your cap. You know, the, the Nationals are, are, are playing for their season, and their two best players, Bryce Harper, I don't say their two best players, but their two sort of most notable players, Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, 
Both had games. And it's, what are you going to do? You're still five up with 23 to play. You got two out of three, which is what you need to do coming into the series after they cut it to four. And then Kelly Johnson hit a dick, fi- dick high fastball in honor of Wilmer Flores, who he was pinch hitting for <laughs> over the fence. And then it's Joannis Suspedes. What a what a transformation he's been for this team. Uh, it's, at what point do we start talking about him as the greatest trade deadline pickup ever? And I know Beltran, certainly in the conversation. Manny Ramirez in 2008 was just absurd. But in terms of really transforming the team, I don't think that either of those players had, had as much of an effect as Suspedes did. No, I mean, he has... You know, he, he's hitting like 25 or 30, whatever it has been, extra base hits and 34 RBIs in like 35 games. When he doesn't do something productive, I find that surprising instead of you know, him doing, you know, good. So <clears throat> it's just like you knew something was going to happen Yeah, when he came in against Storin tonight. Or when he faced Storin last night. Poor Drew Storin. <laughs> this is like Brad Lidge against Albert Pujols every night. <laughs> like some sort of like Black Mirror episode. Uh, he's only going to give me his season line, which is not what I actually want. Um, let's see. I can, I can eyeball it. But coming into play... Tonight, as a Met, Jonas Espedes hitting 307, 354, 660, and then he went two for four with a home run. So those numbers are going up. That'll help the line. It's uh, this is 35 games he's hit 14 home runs. Yeah, literally, it's every other day. I think he has like an RBI a day and a home run every other day. Yes. that's that really is unreal. It is, and it's it's I don't. This stuff happens. You know, Carlos Gonzalez has had a, a month like that, month and a half, six weeks. And Joey Vado's second half is, if you go and look at the numbers, just otherworldly. It just doesn't happen to Mets fans. Right. You know. <laughs> is what it comes down to. When 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 Mets trade for a, a big superstar, it's it's Roberto Alomar or Jeremy Burnitz or Carlos Baerga. <laughs> I guess technically, I think they signed Al- Alomar as a free agent, if I recall correctly. Oh, Mike Hampton, on the pitching side of things, he yeah okay, Mike Hampton hasn't. I don't think he had the impact that Cespedes is having, but he certainly had an impact on that team. But that was that was an off season free agent signing for a team coming off a, a playoff appearance. <laughs> He was more like sort of the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I guess the Spedis turned out to be, though I don't, I'm, don't suppose we really expected it at the time. Um, so I, I, I posed this question on Twitter today. Uh, how, assuming the Mets win the division, how high an MVP vote does he get? What's the highest vote he gets in the National League MVP voting? Not where you would put him. I think he gets a smattering of first place votes. You think so? Yeah. I mean, it, it's probably going to happen. You're probably right. Yeah, I don't, you know, uh, I don't find anything necessarily wrong with that. I don't agree with it, but 
if you want to base the MVP vote on the player that had the most value to his team in the standings and whatever else, you can't argue that Cespedes has had a major impact on the NL East race. I mean, if you want to, you want to talk about pennant leverage. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> as opposed to, like, individual game leverage. Um, by F4, he's been almost worth three wins. Uh, he's a little bit lower in baseball references for because defensive runs save doesn't love him in center field. But it's it's something else. It's you look at this team now, and it's such a strange feeling because it's such a different team than it was even six weeks ago. You know, we've talked about I whenever I do media hits, I talk about sort of like a tale of two seasons. Yeah, we we left Panic City in the rearview mirror. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad matchup for them in the playoffs at this point. Wilmer Flores was hitting eighth. He's basically the league average hitter. This is a legitimately good major league offense now. Yeah, with right back, if Duda is actually going to, you know, stay in the lineup and produce, um, you know, Conforto is just kind of, I mean, not Conforto, uh, Kadair is just kind of sitting around. He's still a useful piece. I mean, this is this is a good lineup. <laughs> And they could literally go into the playoffs with a bench of, like a regular bench of Kadir, Uribe, Kelly Johnson, Tejada, EY. and probably, yeah, probably EY. And a backup catcher of some sort. That's six. I guess it's a 14-11. Yeah. That's like, it's, this is a it's not a bad bench. baseball team. This is weird. I don't... <laughs> Listen, I'm the one that predicted that the Mets would win 79 games during the uh, our preseason rankings. I so. said 82. You were the low yeah. man, though. Yeah, I know. I, I was. I was the most pessimistic. Is it possible? Maybe. Maybe they win one more game and lose every single game of the season. That would be terrible. I certainly don't want to be proven right. I mean, I said it as you, as all our listeners already know. I said it before the season. A full 162-game schedule can wipe out a lot of, you know, whatever's there on paper on April 1st. And everything that could have gone... I hear me say that. The Mets had a lot of things go right for them this year. The Nationals had basically everything go wrong. The Mets had a lot of stuff go wrong, too. Right. I, I, yeah. it, you know, they, they definitely lost David Wright for most of the season, Travis Darno for large chunks of it, you know, Zach Wheeler and Josh Edgen during the spring. Jerry Blevins, who looked like he might be a important pen arm after a couple of weeks. You know, teams have injuries. It's it not been quite as... And look, you know, the Nationals are going to get an MVP season out of Bryce Harper. And if you had assumed that, if you wanted to add that to the ledger on April 1st, you're like, all right, well, they're hosting the winner of the wildcard game. They're going to win 98 games. And be the number one seed in the NL. And we sit here on September 9th. And they are three games over 500. <laughs> in a, in a let's, let's be clear again, an atrocious division. Yeah, I mean, it's Mets, Nats, and then... 
Who's in third place? The Marlins, the Marlins are like 15 are games. The Marlins are in, are in, in third place. Um, they're the only uh, of the Marlins, Braves, and Phillies. The Marlins are the only one I'm pretty sure won't lose 100 games this year. <laughs> I don't think the Braves will. They'd have to go 6-16 six and 16 the rest of the way. Which is possible. Which is very going. possible. And the Phillies would have to go 8-14, and 14, which is definitely in play. <laughs> and the Marlins only need to win four more games, which I think they probably will. But they could have three 95-loss teams. They get the, the first three uh, picks in next year's draft fairly easily, though the Reds and Rockies are knocking on the door as well. For those, certainly. It's just been a weird year. You know, I, I just... I did not think this would happen. I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, nobody did. It's, you know, they, we all thought, you know, maybe the Mets could make a wild card run. They're not as good as the Nats. You know, even as of last Sunday, I think everyone thought they might choke away the division if you spent yep. any time <laughs> on Mets Twitter. And look, they were four games going in going into the series. If the Nats take two out of three, which the other three horses going was certainly in play, you know, three up with twenty three to play and a a series looming against them at the end of the season, the last weekend, you know, you'd have to it'd be a legitimate division race. And then, you know, John Nice was John Nice. I was actually going back and forth breaking down boxes and taking them to the recycling bin at our apartment as we slowly start to unpack and doing that thing where I got my phone with me and I'm like, so I got a bunch of boxes in my hands. I carry them over to the, to like the dumpster, drop it off and do the moment where I'm like, uh, pull out my phone, check to make sure I have that notification. <laughs> Wilson Ramos hit a grand slam. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. That's Johnny's. But like they've done against every other team, good, bad, or indifferent this year, they, or at least recently, you know, back they came. That's the biggest difference between this team and even, say, last year. You know, the Mets team of, of years past, they get even a slight to moderate deficit late in the game, and you figure, well, that's it. This team, they just have that, that, aura around them you know it's not over till it's over i don't know so i'm not gonna i don't want to completely discount that there's there's certainly something to the fact that this is a confident team this is a loose clubhouse right now that bakes itself into the production they're getting overall this is just a really good offensive team right now this is a good baseball team right now as comprised. Now look, there's. I'm a little worried about the you know I'm I'm me, so I'm a little bit worried about the starting pitching. Not so much down the stretch, but just you know, we're in uncharted territory for pretty much all of these pitchers. And the Matt Harvey thing, you know, we did an entire podcast about it. But you know, <laughs> two these, entire podcasts about yeah, it. Two entire podcasts about it. Um, you know, all these guys are in uncharted territory for innings pitched in a season. Outside of maybe Stephen Matz because of his lat issue, so they're going to go into October and you know, they're starting. Like Degrom looked good tonight. You know, Syndergaard's looked gassed recently. Harvey's looked gassed recently. 
You don't want to get out of mats. John Neese has been terrible. Bartolo Colon looks great. <laughs> As ride sure him into the all, sunset. We all predicted. You know, they're going to have to sort of... Now that they have a seven-game cushion, they can probably nurse themselves a little bit through... Um, the last couple weeks of the season, rest guys when they need to. You know, Syndergaard, you know, Harvey's obviously getting skipped, DeGrom will get skipped, possibly Syndergaard will get skipped again. And they're, they're able to sort of set up how they need to set up for a theoretical division series tilt with the Dodgers. That scares me, man. That's a team that scares me. Uh, there's, I think they match up better with the Dodgers than they do some other teams. The Dodgers have similar strengths and weaknesses to the Mets, I think. I mean, just... Kershaw and Greinke, yeah, you guys one, Kershaw two. And Greinke four times. And that's uh, that's tough. That's a tough hurdle for any team. But this is what we're complaining about now, Steve. That's true. I mean, I'd not the fact much... that the Mets have no shortstops, or they're carrying six outfielders, or they signed Michael Kadir and then no one else. We're complaining about their potential division series matchup. Since the All Star, since the All Star break, teams hitting two sixty six, three thirty five, four fifty nine. They're tied for third in home runs behind two behind the Mariners and one behind the or sorry, two behind the Blue Jays and one behind the Cubs, tied with the Mariners. Seventy four home runs. It's glorious. It is. It's much nicer talking about this than it is about all the low met stuff. What was your favorite moment from the three-game series that was? Um, probably the David Wright slide and fist bump. It's That's going to be just one of That's like the... One of those iconic images. That is the if, Mets 2015 Mets yearbook like opening yep. pre-credits. That's like the moment, probably. Mine was Ioannis Suspedes hitting the two-run home run tonight and just no bat flip just casually very casually mind you just walking up the first baseline just walking like that's what I do I'm Ioannis Suspedes <laughs> we're in uncharted territory I almost sent a message out a couple of weeks, and I'm still, you know, we're Mets fans. They're seven up with 23 to play. Right, right. No, we, we can... know. <laughs> we know. They're, and they're they're about to go to Turner Field for four. But there's something about this team now. It's there's some recency bias here. I think. I started to come to this conclusion about a month ago, I think. Um, it's probably my favorite team of my lifetime. Of any sport? Or just baseball? 
Um, I mean, I was specifically thinking of Mets teams. Mm. Um, now again, they haven't completely broken me yet, which they may still do. There's plenty of time to do that. <laughs> um, but there's just it's it's such a likable team, and I, I'm in a position now where. I'm attached to like a large part of this roster because I saw them come up through the system in a lot of cases. You know, I watched Jairus. I saw Jairus really in Double A, you know, Conforto even back in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I saw what? Uh, let's see what was the. Take a quick look. I would guess I saw at least. two-thirds of this team up and down through the minors. They used a lot of players this year. Jeez. Even guys like Eric Goodell. Like I saw Eric Goodell give up the longest home run I've ever seen in my life in double-A to Miguel Sano. <laughs> but you still get like attached to these guys. Like I'm really happy for Eric Goodell. The double Tommy John guy, um, you know, made it to the majors. I mean, probably a part of, you know, important part of this bullpen down the stretch. It was an important part of this bullpen the last couple of days. That's great. The team's very easy to like. I mean, in part, it's because it's, you know, it's, as a general rule, it's easier to like good teams than bad teams. I think we both acknowledge that. Though as Mets fans, you learn to appreciate bad teams. Because <laughs> you're often not given any other option. But there's just something about this team. And the kind of games they're playing. And the kind of games they're winning. And they're hitting just massive amounts of dingers, which is always fun. Everyone loves the big dongs. And there's just like a, a when uh when Nguyen Heist hit the home run last night. When he's coming into the dugout and like Eric Young of all people is just like going absolutely like bat shit in the dugout waiting for Kirk Nguyen Heist. <laughs> it's just it's you know it's like you can't I can't even and if you're a long time listener, I don't have to remind you that I've said a lot of not particularly nice things about Eric Young on this podcast over the years. But in that not moment, that great of a baseball player, yes, but he's, yes, he's a likable person. Yes, you know, um, we have an email later about Dylan G. You know, Dylan G tweeting positive things about this team. And then, yeah, I know it's his buddies. You know, it's the guys he's played with. It's got to be so tough for him to watch this team doing this. Yeah, they really uh, screwed him over. And they didn't, they didn't. And we have an email and we'll get into it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, Jerry Blevins, who was here for like two weeks. <laughs> now, some of that's just like, you know, media training stuff. Like, it's smart to do that. Um, but again, it's still a step up from previous Mets teams that actually, you know, Mets players that know to do that. It's just something about this team. And again, it's the what? 
I can count on one hand the number of teams that have made the playoffs in my lifetime. And I'll still be able to do that after that year, if they this year if they make it. Um, <laughs> so that won't change. But it's I mean, like I'm literally speechless. I fill two hour podcasts on a regular basis, and I can't even begin to consider where to begin with the last three days. Maybe with J.R.'s Familia's 96-mile-an-hour splitter. Oh, my God. That that should not even be possible. It shouldn't be illegal. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. You're right. And it, the other thing about this team is uh, we take for granted how how good... Gary, Keith, and Ron are, and Howie and Josh are. And like Howie and Josh specifically, I don't think we've ever really had with a good team, but they are feeling it. Holy smokes. <laughs> Holy smokes, indeed. <laughs> I'm a little cranky Gary didn't pull out the double out of here for Kirk Newenheist yesterday. I'm pretty sure he hasn't done it since the Beltran walk-off against the Cardinals in 2006. It certainly would have been a appropriate moment. Yeah. I know, like, I know it wasn't a walk-off, but I think it was close enough to a walk-off that I was hoping he would pull it out. Maybe he was just as shocked as the rest of us. And Keith was feeling it tonight, too. He's been off the last couple of days. It's nice to see all three of them back together again. Yeah. Unfortunately, too far and few in between. <clears throat> like, I don't even want to talk about the Matt Harvey not pitching well, because I don't think it matters. Maybe not pitching past the Yankees game. It just... Well, I mean, he didn't really pitch that terribly outside of that one play where Cespedes has swabbed the ball. And the, command, if, the, command but... was, the command was bad. Right, I mean, His it wasn't. Ball command was not good, but he's had games like that this year. Yeah, it it, it wasn't seven runs bad. Hmm. And that that Tuesday night lineup, at least, was a good it's a good hitting lineup. You know, there's no easy easy outs in that lineup. You know, I know worse Desmond and you know Michael Taylor not having great seasons, but that's not you know. Even if his command was better, those guys can, are, can still get theirs off of you. I don't care about the narrative. And the narr- narrative went out the window once the Nats bullpen got into the game. Good lord. I think we know a thing or two about bad bullpens. But... It's true. It's, that, was, Woof. that was impressive. <laughs> I just, I, like I said, I'm more or less I rest pro for this team. I love every single one of these players. Even Eric Campbell at first base in a close game, which I ranted about on Twitter before I forgot that every 
other first base option had been <laughs> removed from the game. Who do you like better, first baseman Eric Campbell or left fielder Alex Eric Campbell? Fair enough. Mm. It just amuses me that Terry Collins continues to find ways to get Eric Campbell into the game, despite like a thirty-seven man <laughs> roster. But hey, that's probably going to be 2015 NL Manager of the Year, Terry Collins. That's true. I don't know who else to single out at this point. Hustle Robles was good. Dario Alvarez got brought in to face Bryce Harper and struck him out on the best slider I've ever seen him throw. And I've seen Dario Alvarez quite a lot. It just pushes us. It was just one of those series where every button that got pushed worked. They won six straight against the Nationals now. And I think, you know, they had the Flores walk off, they had the come from behind, uh, do the double. You know, the Sunday night game, which, I mean, they were behind early with the uh, three home runs and five pitchers, whatever it was. And then they trailed late in all three of these games. And just every single time, somebody, usually Ioannis Suspedes, <laughs> stepped up. You know, I said back... Uh, in our post-trade deadline episode. I was ready for a good team. You know, I've done this podcast for a couple of years now, and you know I have fun with it. I definitely have fun with it. Um, whether the team's good or bad, whether I'm talking about Met- actual Mets baseball or you know pro wrestling or Sheffield Wednesday or bourbon or whatever. But I'm like ready to have a good Mets team to talk about. And now I'm like, you know, we're a half hour into the show. I don't really have anything to say. No more kvetching. There's, I'm, you know, I had a long day at work. You know, I was listening to the radio broadcast for the first hour or so in the office while I finished up some stuff. You know, came home, put on some leftover chorizo from Labor Day. I put the game on at 2-1. And honestly, I didn't expect much. I wasn't, you know, it's, it just, it looked like one of those games, I said at the outset, where Steven Strasburg was just, you know, we, you know, we joke in past years about, like, tipping your cap to, you know, Tom Kohler or whatever when he <laughs> throws eight innings of one-run ball or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's Steven Strasburg. He can do that. But they're hitting... You know, they're not relying on, like, a ninth-inning unearned run to beat Clayton Kershaw. They're hitting good pitchers now. It's a good offense. It's a good team. Look, Terry Collins is still going to do some managing down the stretch. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know how many more starts Matt Harvey makes for the 2015 Mets. Or future iterations. I don't have an answer to that. I don't know how the Grom, Syndergaard, and Mats hold up in a potential playoff series. I don't know. I know Steven Mats is a motherfucker. That is very true. 
I don't know how the bridge to familia works against better teams. I don't know. We're in un we're all in uncharted territory here. It's a nice feeling though. It really is. Now we'll answer your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio episode one hundred and thirty eight. I should say that we're testing out we went right to air after the Nationals game. Because when it comes to a potential Mets playoff series, we'll probably be doing at least I don't know if it'll be daily podcasts, but it'll be podcasts after every single game. It's my current plan. We'll do a big playoff preview one way or the other. And then uh, if the Mets are in it, as long as they're in it, play playoff, uh, playoff podcast after each game that hopefully I will be better prepared for because I'll do notes. Assuming I'm not stuck late at work like I was tonight and just babbled for a half hour. You were coherent. That's all that matters. That's really all that matters. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. I think I may have skipped a part there. We'll go back to the beginning. This is episode 138 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. Find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. And you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post in Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffy Paternostro. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Steve Sippa. Follow him on Twitter at Steve Sippa. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We have two emails. I have promised a Dylan G email, so we'll get to that right away. It's from Stuart. With Dylan G saying some things that cost him a September spot and possibly any chance of ever being on the Mets roster again, would Nippon Professional Baseball be a place he could thrive in? Thanks, Stuart. Um, so the Dylan G scenario is a little sad. Um, to a certain extent, G made his decision that he would accept the assignment to get the whatever $2 million plus he was still owed from the team at that time. He could have declined it, um, essentially forfeited the rest of the salary for the year, but become a free agent. And he probably would not have gotten the same amount of money, but yeah. he would have gotten a chance to start somewhere for the rest of the year and earned himself potentially a major league deal the following season. You know, Going to Vegas, I know he was good in his last few Vegas starts, but overall the numbers don't look great. He might be stuck in a you know minor league deal deal and non-roster invitation kind of scenario this coming off season. Um, and as I said, it's tough for him. I, like, I don't think the team owes him anything because he pitched marginally well for bad teams. You know, that's that's the way it works. There's not a spot for Dylan G on this team. There's a reason that, you know, Eric Campbell and Johnny Manel and whoever else were our September call-ups now when they were getting regular playing time three months ago on better teams 
You, know, you have you have guys like Juan Uribe on the bench. You know, your sixth starter is Steven Matz instead of your fourth starter being Dylan Jake. Um, but I'm sympathetic. Um, you know, it's there's an argument that he's at least as qualified, if not more qualified, to take a spot start down the stretch than Logan Verrett. Um, Absolutely. But I think Verrett's in their long-term plans. I think Verrett's a potential member of the of the pen in the postseason. He certainly would be in competition for one of those last pen spots, depending on how they break down the roster. They want to see what they have there. And yeah, G said some things that probably pissed off some people. And when you're you know, you can complain about the six-man rotation when you're Matt Harvey. Yes, it's 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 a bit of a double standard, but when you're more on the fringes of a roster, being a good teammate, you know, being Eric Young Jr. jumping to the front of the dugout steps <laughs> to mob Kirk Neuenheis, that kind of stuff matters. Um, you know, I think he gets a a deal somewhere and there were teams that were vaguely interested he'll get a contract to play baseball next year um he'll be an expensive minor league deal because i think he's enough service time now where they can't cut his salary all that much but you know it won't be with the mets and i give him credit for not sulking at least not publicly (laughs) but you know that's the uh, it's the business. It's the business. This is a this is a a very good baseball team now. Um, you know, Kirk Newenheis probably doesn't make the. You know, I like Kirk Newenheis. Always liked Kirk Newenheis. Kirk Newenheis is uh, will have all four of his home runs will have prominent places <laughs> in the 2015 Mets yearbook. But you gotta put the best twenty-five on the field, and that's probably not Kirk Newenheis right now. Next email is from Ali. Does old speed kill? Seeing as the Mets brought in Eric Young Jr. to be their on-base pinch-running speed threat, I guess I was wondering: was he really our best option? Like, I get he's kind of fast, but he's like 32 or something, and we had to trade for him. They gave him, like, cash considerations. Is there no one in our system who is faster than Eric Young Jr.? Not one wiry 19-year-old who can't hit a lick but has 80 speed. Um, I think he's 23 now, but yeah, Champ Stewart fits that description. Last year, Terrence Gore came up from Kansas City and didn't have a single at-bat in the postseason, but still stole three bases and was a meaningful presence. Do we not just have that guy? Thank you, and it's again, and it's pronounced Ali, like short for Oliver, but I spell it in a silly way. Thanks. Um, so, you may have noticed, Steve, there's very much a pattern in the players the Mets have. Really, even uh, the trade deadline is not a great, a great place to start. But even going back to sort of the hemming and hawing over Michael Conforto, um, but certainly with the September call-ups. Josh Smoker not among them, for example. The fact they brought back, you know, they traded cash considerations or whatever for Eric Young Jr. to bring him back with the express purpose of being a September call-up, potentially being the the Terrence Gore of their playoff roster. 
instead of you know taking a shot with Champ Stewart or whatever. And I get that you know, as fast as Stewart is, you really want to throw him into the to the heat of a pennant race. But really, they didn't bring in anyone that wasn't already in that locker room previously, um, outside of maybe Tim Stauffer, but he's a a veteran himself. So I think you have to maybe say that's a conscious decision on their part. And I just don't think the difference between Eric Young Jr. and Champ Stewart in those four stolen base attempts is particularly meaningful. Otherwise, well, I mean, there's also roster considerations. I mean, you know, no one's going to cry if you know, we get rid of Eric Young Jr. next year. Right. Stewart, you know, yeah, you have to add so him to the roster. To 40 and you have to there's still there, that you know? kind of nebulous well maybe next year he'll figure something out he probably won't but he probably won't you know same thing with beyond the like you know but you know you start the, you start the option clock and whatever else yeah this is teams don't really do that you know gore was a little bit closer to the majors at that point um you know billy hamilton too when he came up late was fairly close to the majors in a way that champ stewart just isn't and there's really no one uh, in the upper minors, I guess Herrera could fit that role. He's a little surprising that he hasn't been, that he wasn't added or anything. I mean, he's probably not as fast as uh, EY is, but he's a little more versatile and that you wouldn't, you know, mind necessarily giving him a start or a pinch hitting appearance here and there. So, I mean, we all know that Terry Collins wouldn't mind giving Eric Young Jr. <laughs> a start or a pinch hitting appearance. Here or there, because I believe he's done both since Eric Young Jr. has been up. I mean, there's not a ton of teams, be like really outside of Champ Stewart. Um, it would be difficult for me to. I'm racking my brain for another plus runner. Rafael Ramirez. He's not as fast as Stewart, but probably a present day seven but you know there I and mean, there's something to having a guy you know you can dump into that clubhouse you're only using him as a pinch runner he already knows everybody he knows the the clubhouse culture he's a veteran it's really not the end of the world i've mellowed on eric young jr because the mets are 17 games over 500 and probably going to win the division why the hell not? And yes, uh, Brandon McCarthy, it's 17 games over 500. It's not eight and a half. Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. I don't have much else to say other than love the Mets, hashtag love the Mets. And the next time you'll hear from us, barring anything major happening in the next week, is at Pitch Talks. We're roughly eight days away. So I'll plug it one more time. Catch Brewery, Story in New York, right off the 30th Avenue Station. You get tickets at pitchtalks.com. Use the code Amazing Avenue. Get $5 off. I'm going to go watch highlights of tonight's game over and over, much like I spent most of the day in the office watching highlights of yesterday's game over and over on my phone and we'll see you next week for a special live edition of amazing avenue audio